but the Lord Jesus Christ, and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one, crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Make every wicked path straight. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our last broadcast, we began to look at the, the theme, the truth about the gospel, in which we noted that truth is an objective uh, thing, not a subjective thing, and that it is based on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he says. Indeed, he said in John chapter 14, verse 6, that is the Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible makes it clear concerning the Lord Jesus Christ that he is full of grace and of truth. And of course, in the first verse of the first chapter of John, the Bible says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the truth, is also God. And he is also the word of God. And indeed, the Bible makes it clear. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, the A part, it says that God is not a man that he should lie. So he cannot tell a lie. Indeed, he is truth personified. And then we looked at the word gospel. And we know that the gospel is the joyous good news of the salvation of mankind through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is not just information or biography of the earthly ministry and life of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it is really about what the Lord Jesus Christ did through his death and resurrection to deliver mankind from sin and sinful living, and also to save mankind from the judgment of God upon sinners. Thus, the truth about the gospel is what the Lord Jesus Christ says about the work he did to bring mankind out of a life of sin and from the bondage to the devil. The Bible makes it absolutely clear. In John chapter 3, verse 16 to 21, I believe we, we, we looked at it, we read it last time. It says that, it, uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And it goes on to say that he did not come to condemn the world, but that the, the world will stand condemned because they refuse to accept him, they refuse to receive him, of whom the Bible says clearly that this is the way to the way of salvation. Now, that means that the basis, the fundamental basis of the gospel is the love of God, not the desire of men. It is the love of God that has brought about salvation. It is not the love or the desire of men to be saved per se but the love that God has that paved the way for man to receive salvation. Indeed, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says that God commended his love towards man in that while men were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for mankind. He did not wait that we should first of all be okay before dying for us, but whilst we were still steep in sin, he died for us. Indeed, in First John Chapter 3, verse 1, the A part of First John chapter 3, uh, the Bible tells us that it talks about, it says, what manner of love, it says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on, on us that we should be called children of God. What love that he, he, he saw sinners, sinful men, and brought them and said, indeed, you are not sinners anymore, but you are now the children of God. In John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse 10 through to verse 13. The Bible tells us that, and, and I'm going to, let me just read it. It says, he was, that is speaking of the, of the word, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The, 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 the believer, person who is called the believer, or who is said to be born again, experienced this transformation from that of being a sinner to that of being a child of God because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did according to the will of God, according to the plan of God, according to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary, rather than on the desire of any man. It was a plan that God initiated and executed from scratch, from the beginning to the end. So with us stated in our last broadcast, 
as follows: that truth, the truth about the gospel, is not that it is it is it is not that it is not about uh, meat, drink, job, finances, uh, houses, cars. You know these mundane earthly things that people get themselves involved with. Rather, it is about attaining to, really uh, obtaining the righteousness which God requires for mankind to possess in order to please him. There is a righteous standard that God has placed. And so the gospel is not about going to talk about getting meat, getting drink, getting cars, getting houses, owning those, those things that we hear frequently. It's not what the gospel is about. Rather, the gospel is about attaining to the righteous standard that God has set for anybody whom, with whom he will have relationship. Now, because we couldn't have been able to attain to that standard, therefore he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to come to the earth on our behalf. And he attained to that standard. And so the gospel is about how we, through Jesus Christ, can attain to that standard and thus be pleasing to God. It is also about the, the peace that we enjoy between, that, that is enjoyed between man and God, who hitherto were enemies. Man was an enemy to God. And we defiled everything that God, we defied every instruction of God, we went contrary to him. But when the gospel is preached, the gospel is preached to say to us that, look, God no longer hates us. God no longer has any bearing to do us evil. Indeed, he loves us. And that's why he has made a provision for us to come to him. And as a result of that, we can enjoy peace with God. The gospel is also about the joy that flows from deep within mankind as a result of the, of, of, of the gospel message and what it portends for mankind. A joy that cannot be explained in words or like the Bible puts it, that is inexpressible. We also noted that the gospel, the truth about the gospel is that it is a message. The message that is from the Lord Jesus Christ meant to uh, be presented to man about the salvation that man can receive from the punishment of God against sinners on the basis of their acceptance of Jesus' finished work on the cross, if and only if he receives it by faith, by putting his entire trust that he will be saved in Jesus Christ. By putting his entire, this, this, this act of faith must be a conviction from within. And that is the essence of the gospel message, to put in us the, the conviction that, look, God wants you saved. God wants you delivered from the punishment that is awaiting sinners. It is not God's desire. It's not God, God's plan that you should be, uh, you should go through such a, a painful uh, punishment, one that is uh, eternal separation from God. The Bible says that in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Now, when we are absent from God, then all we, all we can experience will be sorrow, grief, torment, and pain. Thirdly, we noted that the truth about the gospel is that it is about what the Lord Jesus Christ did to make this salvation possible and to bring about a reconciliation between God and man. Indeed, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, the Bible says in part that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. God was no longer counting our, our, our sinfulness or the things, the transgressions that we had committed against him. But the Bible says it was, in, it was in Christ as Christ hung on that cross and he brought deliverance to us, no longer imputing trespasses. And he said, that continues, and he has committed this message to mankind to go to those who have received it, to go and to preach it to a frightened, dying and sometimes brazenly sinful world. To let them know that, look, salvation is available. To do this, that is to proclaim this gospel, this, this gospel message, we must clear out the noise of what the gospel is not. We must remove it, which sadly has filled the airwaves. And we need to infuse the clarity of the gospel message for all to hear everywhere and in every place where human beings live.
Now, if we are going to be able to do this effectively, we must start at the beginning. And one would ask, why are we starting at the beginning? Because, like I said, history always repeats itself because men fail to learn from history. Uh, uh, and, 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 you know, when we talk of history, especially in, in school, there are people who find history to be a very boring subject. Yet it is in history that we find how we got to where we got to. And as a result, we can determine how we can get out of the situation that we have found ourselves in. So in beginning at the beginning, about on, on looking at the truth about the gospel, we cannot but start from the book of Genesis. Indeed, the first chapter of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, reading from verse 1, you will note that the Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on in the second verse to note that at that time, the earth was without form. The earth, the earth was empty or void. There was chaos and darkness covered the face of the deep of the earth. But that the Spirit of God was hovering over it. And in the third verse it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Now, in the beginning, when God began to actually recreate the earth, because Satan and his cohorts had been pushed down to the earth when they rebelled against God. This was before man was ever created. And they had messed up the earth totally and completely and had turned it into a, a, an empty, dark, wicked place. A place that was filled with all manner of crazy debris. But then God determined that he was going to clean out the earth and that he was going to put man upon the earth. Now, to do that, the first thing he did was to clean up the earth, make it habitable, and then he made man. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through to 28, the Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This was God's ultimate creation, the creation of man. Man was made in the image and in the likeness of God. Man was made to look like God. Man was made to have the attributes of God. Yet, he was made lower than angels. But, he was made with so much put into him. The Bible says that man was made male and female. And that man was given authority over all that God had created. Including Satan and demons. In fact, if we read Luke chapter 10, in Luke chapter 10, I'm going to read from verse 17 to 20. In Luke 10, 17 to 20, the Lord Jesus had sent 70 of his disciples uh, to go and preach the, the gospel. And when they returned, the, 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 the Bible says from verse 17 of Luke 10, the Bible says, Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He was saying to them what God intended in Genesis chapter 1, that we have been given authority over everything on the earth. And that he was saying to them that, look, your excitement should not be that you are, you are that demons are subject to you and so on and so forth. Rather, your excitement should be that your names are written in the book of life. Your names are written in heaven. So man was given authority to act on God's behalf over the earth. This was God's original uh, plan at the beginning. But then something went wrong. To understand what went wrong, we go back to Genesis. I'll read Genesis again. Uh, this time around, we'll read the second chapter of Genesis and what began to happen. Now, God had already made man. In Genesis chapter 2, reading from verse um, uh, verse 10, let me read from verse 9. The Bible says, And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the, to the sight and good for food. 
the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Please note that two trees were made. The tree of life was in the middle of the garden. So also was another tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden, there, out of Eden, and from out, sorry, a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havila, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Leon, Dilion, and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hydekal. It is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Please, like I said earlier, note that in the middle of the garden there were two trees. There was the tree of life and there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now we are told in verse 17 that God told man, after God had placed man in the garden, said, eat freely of all the trees. But please do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Again, I want to point out in verse 9 something about every tree that God had planted. The Bible says again, And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. All the trees were good for food. All of them were good for food. They were all pleasant to the eyes. But God had instructed that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not to be eaten. That was a clear instruction. There was no ambiguity in what God had said to Adam. Now, reading from verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took out of his ribs and closed up the flesh in it. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and, and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. This was what happened at the beginning. God had made man, had put man in the garden, had given man instructions. Man was lonely and God made the woman and man now had a companion like himself, a companion that is comparable to him, one that would be a helper unto him. So that issue was settled. But when we get to chapter 3, the third chapter of Genesis, we begin to see what, went, what began to go wrong. Everything was okay. Indeed, they were naked, the Bible says, and they were not ashamed. They did not consider that they were naked. There was a, a sort of innocence about them. Pretty much like little children who, who are growing up and they take their bath outside. They, they run around naked. Nobody even looks, they are not even bothered about whether people are looking at them or anything. That's the kind of state in which they were. They were in that state of innocence. Nothing had been known. Now, in chapter 3, from verse 1, the Bible says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, 
and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband and with her, uh, the husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew, or they realized, that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Let's pause here. So we see that at some point in time, the woman, the companion of the man, was alone. And the serpent, we know this to be Satan from the scriptures, it was called the old serpent, came. Satan came in the form of uh, uh, the, the snake. The, the snake was more open, and so Satan went into the snake and now had it, was having a conversation with the woman. And asked the woman a simple question. Has God indeed said that you are not to eat of all the, of any of the trees in the garden? He said, no, no, no. God says we might freely eat of all the trees. But then, of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, we are not to eat. Remember I told you in, in, second, in uh, Genesis chapter 2 verse 9, that God had said, to, the Bible says that God had planted two trees in the middle of the garden. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, Eve is here saying to the, to, saying to the serpent, that God said we should eat of all the trees except of the, for the one in the middle. Which one of these two was she really talking about? She wasn't clear. But not, just note what she also added. She said God said we shouldn't eat of the tree and said that we shouldn't touch it. And this is where we see the, 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 the challenge or the problem that we face when the matter of sin is spoken about. Now, Satan began to put into Eve a desire for what God said she should not have. The, or the man, uh, they should not have. Satan began to put that desire and that desire began to take shape in Eve and she began to desire something that God said that she don't eat. Now, even if she had said of the tree in the middle and she was not specific about the tree, why was it that it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that she stretched forth her hands to go and eat? And why was she talking about what God did not say in saying that if we touch of this tree, that this will happen when God did not state that? Anyway, the bottom line is that she took of that tree at the nudging of um, Satan and, of course, with herself. Because the Bible notes in verse 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes. These are things that, the, that God had already said about the, about the trees, that, about what he had planted in the garden. All the trees were good for food. All the trees were pleasant to the eyes. All of them. But God had said, of this particular tree, don't eat. Now she has added one more information that it was a tree desirable to make one wise. So she had brought in her own desire now, outside of the desire of God. And so we find that in Genesis chapter 3, what went wrong was one, the release of self. Self came out to the fore. Now, following the release of self was the introduction of sin into mankind. How was sin introduced into mankind? It was an act of obedience. Indeed, beyond an act of obedience, it was an act of rebellion against God because God had given a command. Even if we did not understand, even if man did not understand why God gave the command, it was it should have been man should have been content to be okay with the fact that God had given a command. But man was not content with the fact that God had given a command. Man wanted to explore for himself, giving birth to self, causing self to come forth, and. So when man had now eaten of this tree that God said we should not eat of, he suddenly realized that he was naked. There was awareness of sin in man. Man had become a sinner. We, don't, we wouldn't have time to read the rest of it, but that was how man fell. And when man fell, there were many things that began to happen. Indeed, God placed the curse on the serpent and said, you are now going to be lowest of all the beasts shall crawl on your belly. God placed a curse Adam said he was going to toil the ground. The ground was not going to yield its, its increase to him. He was going to dig and toil and everything and will have to eat from the sweat of his labors. And then said of the woman that because she had done what she had done, she's now going to give birth in pain and, 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 and sorrow. But the one I want to read is what God said in Genesis chapter 22, uh, Genesis chapter 3 rather, verse 22 to 24. Genesis chapter 3 verse 22 to 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now let us put, and now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherub, cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword 
which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Once man was exposed to the knowledge of good and evil, he could no longer partake of the tree of life. Because if he had partaken of the tree of life, he would have become perpetually in the state of sin and irredeemable. So out of love, not, not wanting man to be, to, to be permanently uh, uh, a sinner, God drove man out of the Garden of Eden and made sure that he would never be able to touch the tree of life in that state of sin. Now, this is important because when you read, Gen when you read the book of Revelations, the last book of the Bible and chapter 20, the last chapter of the Bible, we will again encounter the tree of life in which God would give to man who has been redeemed through the Lord Jesus Christ to partake of the tree of life and then live forever. He will live forever in the state of redemption. That, that is in a state in which there will be no sin imputed to man. Then again, he will eat of the tree of life. But as at the time that he was a sinner, he would not have allowed him to do that. A second thing that we note is that in moving man out of the garden, the Bible affirms one truth about God. The Bible says in Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13, Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13, concerning God, it says that God is of purer eyes than to behold evil and he cannot look on iniquity. Because if he did, he would have killed man. And so in a, in a bid not to look upon iniquity, the iniquity of man or the evil that man was doing, he sent man out of the garden. He pushed man out of the garden. But this estrangement between God and man was not meant to be forever. Indeed, God had put in, in this same chapter 3, and I'm going to read it, verse 15, whilst he was placing a curse on the serpent, God made a very critical statement. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It says, this is God speaking. It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. Who is the you here? He's talking of Satan, not necessarily the snake. The snake was a secondary part of it. The primary person he was talking about was the, the snake. There was a Satan. And between your seed and her seed, who is the seed of this woman? The Bible makes us understand that the seed of this woman is the Lord Jesus Christ. And every other person that would accept Jesus Christ now falls under the seed. But in the secondary sense, it would refer to man and snakes and the fact that we don't agree. No, but primarily is referring here to the Lord Jesus Christ and Satan being perpetually at war. He says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, with this stage set, we find here the, the, the singular act of what God had declared that would take place between man and uh, between, between the Lord Jesus Christ and Satan and the kingdom of darkness. In 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, I'm going to read the 8th verse of 1 John chapter 3. It says, he who, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The Lord Jesus Christ came into the world as prophesied to destroy the works of the devil. What are these works? Sin, rebellion, disobedience, and all those acts that we, we engage in that is contrary to God. The Lord Jesus Christ did this by paying the price for sin, which is death. Because the Bible makes it, it says, the soul that sins, it shall die. That's the punishment. And when we talk of death here, there are two aspects to death. There's the physical aspect of death and there's the spiritual aspect of death. The physical aspect of death is this case where the soul leaves the body and the body dies. That is, there's a separation between the soul and the body. But here it's talking of the soul itself. So the soul that sins shall now die. What does that mean? Is now Instead of being separated from the body, here we're talking of separation from God forever. So when the Lord Jesus Christ came, he came to pay the price so that the soul of man can return to God and be at peace with God. And that that, that might begin right here on the earth whilst man is breathing. Because the Bible says clearly in the book of Hebrews, it says it is appointed unto man once to die. After death, after that, that, that death comes the judgment. And so whilst a man is alive, he has the opportunity to, 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 to set his, 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 his life in order so that he, he will no longer die, but he will live. And this is the gospel message. This is the truth 
about the gospel message that the Lord Jesus Christ came to pay the price for, of, uh, for sin for sinners so that sinners can now be redeemed, can be bought back from the hand of Satan who had bought them, who had uh, uh, conquered them as it were, when Adam sinned and so transferred the authority he had over the earth onto Satan. Because Satan had conquered Adam through subterfuge, through deception. But nonetheless, he took over the reins. And as a result, man became a servant to sin, a servant to Satan, a servant even to himself. Being led to do things that are not convenient, being led to do things that he would ordinarily not have done if the if the if the if the presence and the glory of God was still upon him. Things that the same way God would not dare look upon evil, he wouldn't dare look upon it. But now you find man in the midst of this 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 uh, 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 as it were, in, in in the midst of this filth, living in filth and being subjected to the elements. Now, when Jesus Christ therefore came to pay the price, he, he paid the price for sin, not because he sinned, but he paid the price for man's, for man's sin. Now, but once the price was paid, there, there, there no longer was the need to punish sin in man. If and only if that man accepts that what Jesus did was for him and not for Jesus Christ. The Bible says of Jesus Christ, he that knew no sin died for sin. So it's not as if the Lord Jesus Christ was a sinner when he died. No, he knew no sin. He did not commit any sin at all. He actually came to the earth to show us the fact that it is possible to live as God wants us to live. It is possible for us to actually uh, be, 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 to, to actually be able to do what God wants us to do. Indeed, the Lord Jesus Christ became the perfect sacrifice that God desired. Now, before all of this, God had begun to show in, in, in symbols and in types how this was to happen. Under Judaism, in the Old Testament, God, when, the, when they had sinned, God told them to take a lamb that is white. They should inspect the lamb, make sure that it's white, it's clean, there are no blemishes in, in the lamb, and there was going to be a day of atonement when, first of all, the high priest was going to slaughter the lamb on his own behalf and take it into the most holy place and uh, sprinkle it on the on the on the mercy seat. These are terminology that we, we don't bother about it, but it's important all the same to understand these types and symbols. Now, when they had when the high priest had done that, he would take another lamb uh, again, clean, white pure and slaughter on behalf of the nation. Now, this was in time because in reality, the Lord Jesus Christ was going to come and die and then present himself to the Father in heaven. And as a result of that, atone for the sins of all of mankind once and for all. Under the priesthood, the earthly priesthood, it was done every year. But under Christ, when Christ came, it was done once and for all. So that anybody who believes this and accepts it that what the Lord Jesus Christ did was indeed for him, and aligns himself with the Lord Jesus Christ, that man shall be saved, and he will know that he's saved. It's not as if he's going to think about it. The assurance of his salvation will be clear to him. He will know that he's, that he's saved. He will know that he has been delivered from sin. He will know that sin is an affront against God. He will know that sin is evil. He will know these things. But if he has not come to the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is not going to know these things. He will believe that the sin he is living in is okay. Even when he sees the destructive power of sin, he will still believe that he is okay. But when he has accepted the truth about what the Lord Jesus Christ did for mankind on the cross and surrenders himself to the control of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, then that man gets to the place where he now begins to enjoy fellowship once again with God. Any attempt to be accepted by God on any other basis except by trusting Christ and the work that he did on the cross will put man back where he started in Adam. Unfortunately, many people wanting the same thing they desire, wanting this, have begun to look for ways by which they can attain to the righteousness of God, the, the righteous standard of God. And that gave birth to religion. But God was not really keen on religion for the sake of religion. He, was, he, he introduced religion only to the extent that Jesus Christ becomes the pinnacle of, 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 of whatever belief system we have. And that through him, we can find life and come unto God. 
But in the absence of that, we have no hope. There is no hope for man outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me read uh, some verses of scripture in Romans chapter 5. And I'm going to read from verse 12 right through to the end. It says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Now, what is this saying here? He's saying that sin reigned to all men because of the, the sin of Adam, even when there was no law, because the law actually started at the time of Moses. So from Adam to Moses, there was no law. And you can only be said to have sinned when there is when, when there is law to be broken. But in the absence of a law to be broken, you cannot really say that people sin. Yet people died. And death is a consequence of sin. So the sin, the one sin that the world had was the sin of Adam, which was a sin of rebellion and transgression against the command of God. And it entered into all men. So all men are born with sin in them. Now, it is later that we begin to add upon that one sin of Adam. And you find children now being rebellious not only to God, but now being rebellious to their parents. You find children disobeying their parents. You find children striking at one another. You find children telling lies. You find children doing... Nobody goes to school to learn those things. But because of that one sin of Adam that is transmitted into all men, all men have sinned. In verse 15, it says, But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. What he's telling us here is that what the Lord Jesus Christ did covered all men. Just like what Adam did covered all men. But in covering all men, that is the, 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 the free gift of salvation in covering all men. It is there insofar as a man acknowledges and accepts that he has sin in his life. If that man does not acknowledge that he has sin in his life, all that the Lord Jesus Christ did is not going to bring about justification for him. So that it is important that men must understand that they don't, they don't have to continue to live in sin. For indeed, the Lord Jesus Christ has paid the price for their sins. They can be free from sin. And this is the message that the gospel is all about. The gospel is about telling men to get away from sin and to come to God, to repent and to return to God. But when we begin to teach that by giving money, you can gain something. We are now beginning to establish a righteous standard that is apart from God and we find ourselves right back in sin. Because the moment you begin to bring in the issue of money, like we have the prosperity gospel going on right now, what you are going to do is you are going to breed in men greed, avarice, corruption, a desire that has nothing to do with God but everything to do with man. In verse 17, it says, For if by the one man, by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, which much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will, will reign in the life, in life rather, through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Through Adam, all sin. We did not commit that one sin that Adam committed. Yet, the penalty for that one sin entered through all men. Now, when Jesus Christ came, he paid the price for sin. And through him, all men now have an opportunity to be free from sin. You don't have to continue to live a life of sin. You have the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work to, to, to go and receive. It's an act of faith. It comes through your conviction, the conviction in your heart that what the Lord is saying in the Bible, what he has written here for you and I is the truth. And that if you accept it and you receive it, you are, you are, you are as good as, as, um, as if you did not commit sin. That is what justification is. You are justified, not on the basis of what you have done, but you are justified on the basis of your trusting in Jesus Christ. 
Many people try to justify themselves before God by going to church. Some others try to justify themselves before God by taking gifts to the pastor. Some others try to justify themselves before God by giving gifts to the poor. Those things are good, but by themselves, they do not justify you before God. Justification before God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be fooled. Don't let anybody deceive you into thinking that by giving money, you can be justified. You are justified only by receiving the free gift of salvation offered by the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything outside of that does not help you. Even if you gave money to the church, let's assume you built churches all over the place, but had not yet received the Lord Jesus Christ. Your gift does not amount to anything. But let's put the other way around, that you accepted Jesus Christ, but had no gift to give anybody. You are accepted unto, by, by God. So it is not a matter of money. When people begin to teach about this money thing, it, 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 it churns one's stomach. Because it would serve, it would seem like the gospel is not for the poor. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ said, go and tell John the Baptist that the poor are receiving the gospel. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ had come to preach the gospel to the poor. But we are preaching the gospel, our own gospel in quotes, which is a wrong gospel, to the rich. Telling them that it's about money. And so the poor are desiring money. Instead of desiring the Lord Jesus Christ, instead of desiring God, they are desiring money and running after money. And we are disem we, 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 we are corrupting the true gospel with a fake gospel. Let me state it clearly here and now. The prosperity gospel is false. The prosperity, prosperity gospel is a lie. The true gospel is that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. And that as many as accept that what he did, he did for them, will find that their sins are forgiven, that the nature of sin that is in them is removed and now they take on the nature of God which at the beginning was God's plan and now they can begin to live for God and walk with God as God wants. Let's go back to the Bible and let me just complete it verse 19 through to 21 now. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. I need to explain that. When it says the law entered that the, the offense might abound, is that when law was introduced, suddenly we realized how sinful sin was. Before we didn't realize it until the law came. The moment the law came, we now saw that it is actually a sin to kill. It is actually a sin to lie. It is actually a sin to commit adultery. It is actually a sin to covet what does not belong to you. And we saw the sheer sinfulness of it. That it was actually a sin to disobey one's parents. Before the law, it, 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 it wasn't clear to us. We did those things, but it wasn't clear to us. But after the law came, it became clear. The offense abounded. But where the offense abounded, grace abounded more. What does that mean? It means that the ability, the enablement to be the, 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 the gift which grace is to, to, to be removed from sinning also was poured out in greater measure. So that where, for example, a man was a, a murderer and he wants to receive salvation, there is great grace given to that man. The Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ was telling a parable about two men who had sinned because a sinful woman had come to wash his feet. And the people around were wondering why, if he was, a, if he was truly a man of God, why would he accept a sinner like this woman to wash his feet? And he told the parable and said uh, of two people who were forgiven. He said one fellow owed about, maybe let's just use uh, our currency here. Let's say uh, one, one fellow was owing, say, 10,000 naira. And another fellow was owing about 1 billion naira. The man who was owing 10,000 naira was forgiven. The man who was owing 1 billion naira was forgiven. And he asked the question, which of these two do you think will love the man who forgave them the more? And they said, of course, the one who owed one billion naira. He said, that is it. The more your sin and you are forgiven, the more you love the one who forgave you. So it is that the more we sinned, grace abounded the much more. So that what he's saying here is that there is no sin that you have committed that the grace of God is not capable of dealing with. The grace of God is freely given. Even if you have committed the worst kind of sin that you can ever think of, put them all into one thing. And I tell you the truth, it is available to you. There is no sinner, not one, that the grace of God is, does not abound to. And that is what God is saying to us. 
that this gift of salvation is for all men, regardless of what you have done. Men may not forget. Men may not forgive. But God not only forgives, God actually forgets once you come to him. This is the message of the gospel. This is what the, the gospel is about. It's not about that thing that you are running after. Run after money, run after miracles, signs and wonders. No! It is about you having peace with God. You knowing that your sins are forgiven you. You being assured that when you leave this earth, you will dwell in eternity with God and not in the sorrow and grief and torment of hell. Finally, in verse 21, he says, So, uh, say grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sinned. That's why Jesus Christ came. We sinned and began to look for how to get out of sin. We struggled. We looked for means. Religion was born. And people started doing all kinds of things. But salvation came through Jesus Christ. Sin came through Adam. Salvation came through Jesus Christ. Sin entered the human race through Adam. Salvation entered the human race through Jesus Christ. The question is, do you want to continue in sin? Or do you want to get out of sin? I have discovered by experience that for as long as a man is enjoying sin, he cannot get out of it. But the day he accepts that indeed he's tired of this life of sin, that is the day that he will be able to receive whatever is offered him. So I'm saying to you today, are you fed up with the life of sin that you're living? There is a way out for you. And that way out is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the message that has asked us to go out there and preach. It is a message that is from the truth, from himself. And he says to you that you can be delivered from your sin if you acknowledge that you are a sinner and that he, what he did on the cross in dying for sin is enough for your salvation. You will be saved and you will know that you are saved because you will begin to experience a joy in your heart like never before. The sorrow of sin is taken away. The, the, the sorrow of guilt, the, the shame and pain of guilt is removed and life is reintroduced into you. What we need is to believe what the Bible calls faith. By the way, the word faith is always tied to God and his word. It's not tied to any other thing. So you don't just believe something in abstraction. So if you, if you have faith, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he says as the basis for your salvation, you shall be saved. But if you believe any other thing, you shall not be saved. Even if you go to church and you hear a message that is not from the Lord Jesus Christ, you hear a message that is according to the imagination of men, talking about how you can make it in this world, talking about how you can become great, you will not be saved. You will be going to church, but you will not be saved. True salvation comes from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in what he says. And I say this to you. If you accept the Lord Jesus Christ and what he says, you cannot accept him only for salvation. You will accept it for the rest of your life. So to come and say, I've received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and yet thereafter you are living contrary to him is wrong. That is not the gospel. You cannot buy salvation. You cannot pay for salvation. It was paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. All you need to do is enter into it. I'll give you an illustration as I begin to close. If a man was sentenced to death, and when the, when the sentence is about to be carried out, his lawyer appears and say, I'm going to take this man's place and die and let the man go free. What the law is interested in is somebody dies for that sin, for that offense. And so if his lawyer is hung, that man is set free. Now, when that man has been set free, I ask a very serious question here. Do we expect that man to go and commit the crime that made him to, 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 be, to be convicted and that made his lawyer to, to die for him? We don't expect it. Do we expect this man, when he's made free, to just go as and, and, and act as if the family of the lawyer does not exist? No, I expect that man to go and be appreciative to the family of the lawyer. So it is. When you have been born again, when you, are, when you are made free by the Lord Jesus Christ, one does not, God does not expect that you will go back and commit the same sins that brought you into condemnation. But rather, you want to live right. Secondly, one does not expect that you just go off on, on your own. Rather, God expects that you would come into his family and you'll be forever, you'll be eternally grateful to him. What we call giving thanks to God on a continual basis. After a man has been born again, there is still a life that he has to live. The gospel also addresses that. The gospel does not address this issue of buying things and paying things. It is wrong to tell people to do anything 
except to trust Jesus for their salvation. To tell people to bring cement, to bring oil, to bring pepper, to bring all kinds of things so that they can be saved is a sin. In fact, it's a crime, a spiritual crime. That is not a church, that is a cult. Nowhere are we told in the Bible that to be saved, we need to bring things. I heard the story of somebody who happened to be a Christian, had been born again, and that person went to see a supposed evangelist. This evangelist said to the person, oh, they tied you when you were when you were born, and that for, for, for you to be redeemed, you need to bring uh, s- s- such and such number of cowries. But since cowries are not out of fashion, he did the conversion into Naira, and said, go and bring that money. Who is that man that can redeem when God has not redeemed? Who is that man that is saying to you that the redemption that you received from the Lord Jesus Christ is incomplete. The redemption, the salvation that we receive from the Lord Jesus Christ is a complete salvation. It is manifesting as you go along. But it is a total package from the get-go. If we would be patient to listen to God, to follow His word and His leading, we will soon discover the fullness of the salvation. And that full salvation, we won't even receive here on the earth. It is after we have shut our eyes in death that will enter into the full salvation. But we can receive the assurance of that full salvation while we are here on the earth. What the Bible calls the joy of the Holy Ghost. We have that joy in spite of what the challenges and the sufferings that we are going through. We know that we are saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. So I want to plead with us. Perhaps you have been searching for salvation and you've been going to places where you have been told that you should bring money, that you should go and buy this and buy that so that they can do salvation for you. I want you to know the truth about the gospel is that salvation is free. It cost the Lord Jesus Christ his life, but for you it is free. All you need to do is enter into what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. How do you do it? Acknowledge that you're a sinner who needs a savior. Believe that Jesus Christ is that savior and make your confessions in your own words in your own language, as best as you understand it. God knows what is in your heart. and God will accept you and he will receive you. And thereafter, you can begin to live for him and learn more about him. Let me tell you the truth about what I just told you now. This is the doorway into the life of salvation. After this, there are other things that you will need to learn about this new life. But what is crucial now is that you come to God recognizing that he has paid the price through his son Jesus Christ for your sins. And that you no longer have need to live a life of rebellion, disobedience, and sin in general before God. But that you come to him with all humility of heart and make your your confessions known unto him. And until we meet, this time we'll be meeting in the month of September, the first Wednesday in the month of September, I say to you, God bless you.